0: Kia ora. Good morning. This week, when you came in today, whether you realize it or not, you're actually jumping in at the end of a long week of celebrations that the church has celebrated for 2,000 years. See, when the church has, we've structured our entire week around this final week of Christ's life that we find in the Gospels. Last Sunday was a day which we called Palm Sunday, which we celebrate that moment Jesus walked into Jerusalem. Not as this triumphant king, but as a humble servant upon a donkey. On Thursday, we celebrate Maundy Thursday as Jesus gathers with his disciples for that last meal, where he imparts to them the last words that he wants to encourage them with. And then on Friday, for those of you who were here, we had a service here, where we celebrated that good Friday, the most paradoxical of terms. The day that we celebrate as good is also the day that we see the very worst of what humanity has to offer. But we also see the very best of a God who enters into the depths of our sin and still says, Father, forgive them. I love them. A God who makes a way for us to become his sons and his daughters. And so today we continue on that story. After Friday, after Saturday, that day of waiting, we now jump back in to that morning as the disciples were trying to understand what happens next. Pat is going to come and share a story with us. She's going to use, tell us the story of this resurrection morning using the sand. You'll be able to see what's happening on the side screens, but I also encourage you to close your eyes and just listen. Enter into the story as we all do, and hopefully by entering into it, we will understand Jesus' resurrection in a new way. Thank you. At the
1: first Glimmer of dawn, it was quiet, so quiet. The disciples remembered how they had gently carried Jesus' body and laid him in a tomb carved out of rock. How could Jesus die? What, wasn't he the rescuer? The one God had promised? They didn't know anything anymore except that their hearts were breaking. Well, that's the end of Jesus, the leaders had said. But just to make sure, they sent strong Soldiers to guard the tomb. And they put a huge rock in the entrance so no one could get in or out. And as the early morning sun slanted through the ancient olive trees, drops of dew glistened on the leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. A group of women walked along the olive groves quietly towards Jesus' tomb. Among them was Mary Magdalene, a good and strong friend, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. They carried spices with them to finish the burial, and they were wondering how they would get in. But when they got there, the stone had been rolled away, and they looked inside and they saw nothing, nothing but the white linen cloth that had covered his body. They, they ran back to tell the others. Most of them did not believe them. But Peter, Peter, being Peter, jumped up and ran to the tomb. Some say John ran too and got there first. He waited for Peter and they went in together. They could feel his presence in the absence. But he was gone. Jesus was gone, gone, truly gone. Mary Magdalene. She came back up to the tomb, and she stood there, weeping. Peter and John, they went back to the others, but Mary, Mary stayed. Tears rolled down her eyes, onto her cheeks. Woman, why are you weeping? She looked up through her tears and saw two men, dressed in white, their clothes like lightning. What are you doing here, they asked her. This is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. Mary, Jesus has moved on. Go and tell the others to meet him in Galilee. Mary stood. She didn't move. How could it be? She had seen him dead. Woman, why are you weeping? Another voice said. She turned, thinking it must have been the gardener. I don't know where Jesus is, she cried. I can't find him. But it was all right. Because Jesus knew where Mary was. And he had found her. Mary. Only one person said her name like that. Mary turned and she could feel her heart thumping. She fell to the ground sobbing, Jesus. And at that moment, she felt like she could cling to him forever and never let him go. Mary, you can hold on to me later all you want. Jesus said gently, and we will always be together. But Mary, go, go now and tell the others that I am alive. Mary got up and she ran. And she ran so fast, it felt like she could run forever. She ran all the way back to the city, and it felt like her feet didn't even touch the ground. And in that early morning, as she ran, it felt like the whole world was being made anew. It felt like the whole world was singing for joy. Everything. The trees, the birds, the flowers, the leaves, her heart. Jesus had said, I am the Saviour and the rescuer of the world. And she knew, she knew because he couldn't stay dead, because Jesus had come alive again. Jesus. The one whose head once was crowned with thorns is crowned in glory now. Jesus, the one who bore our sin and shame is bathed in glory now. Jesus, the radiance of perfect love now shines for all to see. Jesus, the resurrected one is resurrecting me. The resurrected king is resurrecting me.
0: Resurrecting King is resurrecting.
2: enter into the spirit of what Easter Sunday is all about, that time when we look into that empty tomb and we see in it every sense of the word that what we believe is this empty promise, a promise that the grave will be empty. And ultimately, Lord, for us as well, when our time comes, our spirit will be with you and in that sense, our own graves will be empty, empty because we will be with you. And that's what this Easter celebration brings us to that ultimate conclusion to celebrate. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Pat's, uh, Pat's done a fantastic job with this sandpit, hasn't she? Um, I think we should just give her a hand for all what she's done. You know, in a world where Google has all the answers, the most asked question of Google by New Zealanders last year was the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The most asked question on Google last year was, who is Jesus? Which just tells you that there is a spiritual hunger and a level of inquiry in our world about whom we know to be Lord and Saviour. And for those of us who can easily become cynical about the spiritual well-being of our nation, we pray into that answer, don't we? We pray into that and we say, Lord, reveal yourself that our nation would once again rise up. This morning, I'm talking about the power of one. Of course, we know who the one is. But throughout centuries, there has been significant ones who have given us hope and and a sense of uh, resurrection with what it is that they have given us. Over the years, we've had great explorers, great adventurers, like uh, Christopher Columbus, who sailed by faith into the unknown to discover the Americas. Captain James Cook, who nearly three centuries ago traveled down south looking for that great land that they knew was down here somewhere. They figured that they knew were the amount of land was on one end of the planet and they figured there had to be something balancing it up at the other end. And that's New Zealand. (laughs) That's why we shoot above our weight. Do you like that? Like that? It's as good as it gets. Great scientists, Louis Pasteur, who invented antibiotics. One man changed the world as far as our medicine is concerned. Of course, there's the people who bring great compassion into our lives, and we will never go past Mother Teresa as a picture of compassion, somebody who would embrace the the sick and the dead and the dying and say, you still have value. You are loved by God. And they, in turn, change our lives as we see that demonstration. And then there are great leaders. The 20th century says that Winston Churchill was the greatest leader of last century. And of course, he held on to hope by faith when every good person around him was saying, we have no hope. When every advisor around him was saying, we have nothing to hope for or nothing more to hope with. And after the biggest turnaround, the biggest retreat the British had ever happened uh, seen happening at uh, Dunkirk when all the British soldiers were brought back to the UK, he got on the radio and he said we will stand we will fight and we will never never give up we will never give in the greatest the greatest of these people uh, of our of our of our time but of course the one that has changed the world the most the one that has given us such significant change throughout the world is the person of Jesus Christ and it doesn't matter whether you're a, a faithful believer or a A historian or even a cynic, you cannot deny that the person of Jesus has intercepted history with the three and a half years that he spent on this planet in his ministry. And when we consider the impact that he has had on our world, and we look at just three and a half years of ministry time and how powerful that has been, the power of his his compassion, the power of his teachings, the power of his His ability to raise up children, raise up women in a patriarchal society, still reverberates, still echoes, and impacts us today. The power that he broke of injustice when he talked of people being set free. And of course, the ultimate power when he broke the yoke of religious slavery. Religious slavery that bound people by obligation to God, now when we gather together like this, we can celebrate with the spirit of joy because we know what He has given us and what He has done for us. No obligation here this morning, but just the spirit of joy. Would you agree? Yeah. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. Of course, at the end of the day, there is nothing more powerful than the empty tomb. Because we look inside this empty tomb and we see an empty set of clothes. An empty set of clothes. Clothes neatly folded at the end of a a slab. Clothes that once held the broken body of our Saviour, now neatly laid aside as he has neatly laid aside death in a perfect plan that includes all of us. But let's just hone in for a moment on a couple of the the key verses around this time of of this resurrection. And we saw this morning here with this sandpit demonstration uh, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, how they came to that tomb so early. It says here that after they discovered the tomb was empty, it says, So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And when I read this text and refresh myself with this story over this last couple of weeks, I looked at these two words and how it was that they were afraid and yet filled with joy. It's interesting, isn't it? These two sort of diametrically opposed emotions, afraid and yet filled with joy. And I went back to the time when I first realised whom Christ was myself. In my early 20s, uh, I became a follower of Jesus. And when I was reading Scripture and praying and learning what it meant to be a Christian. I had this revelation that was so similar to what we see written in the words today. I was filled with joy at this understanding that I'd come across this person who answered my questions, who actually had intersected history and was a powerful, powerful figure that I needed to know, this resurrected Jesus. And at the same time, the more the joy filled my heart, the more fear filled my mind because I knew that everything was now going to change. Everything that I'd had confidence in was going to be lost. Every relationship that I had now had to be rebuilt on a completely different set of premises. You see, I was going to go from that place of joy and I was going to announce to my friends, I was going to run to the other disciples, if you like, but to my family and to my friends. And with some fear, I was going to tell them that I am building my life upon this revelation of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So I had this absolute joy of knowing whom Christ was and what He had done for me. But I had the fear because everything was going to change. And for Mary and Mary, the two Marys, they both had this experience simultaneously, on that moment when they saw that this tomb was now empty. The clothes were empty. And so out of these empty promises were coming a whole new life that filled them with joy, but filled them with fear because they knew the story was now still in progress. And for each one of us, the story is still in progress. But this little picture that's being painted here rolls out a little bit further. It says here, Jesus met them. Greetings. He actually said, Shalom. He said, and they came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. And again, the same tension of belief but fear would have struck them because you can imagine how Mary Magdalene felt in that moment. Mary Magdalene being the woman who had washed Jesus' feet with oil and her own hair. And her immediate response when she sees this Jesus is she goes straight on her knees and grabs him by his feet. She would have been familiar with his feet because she would have worshipped at his feet. But she would have been looking for something significant to tell her that this is the Christ. This is Jesus who we saw crucified. She would have seen his feet and beheld the nail scars that held him to the cross just three days before. And in that moment, her joy would have been complete. The rumor is true. Jesus has indeed risen. And so we have not only one empty tomb, not only one empty set of clothes, but we have this one resurrection. This one resurrection. That is the culmination of everything God wanted to speak to us about. We saw rumbles of it during Jesus' ministry when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. We saw rumbles just outside of Jerusalem at Bethany when only a week before Jesus' own death and resurrection, Lazarus was raised from the grave, completely encompassed with grave clothes. We see this rumbling. this like a, an earthquake building, a momentum coming. And then there's this cataclysmic raising from the dead of Jesus, the Son of God. And it is like an earthquake has just broken out in the spiritual world. As we see around the world, there are the results of the movement of the earth and the landscape looks broken and rolling, doesn't it? We can say there have been earthquakes there. San Francisco is a classic place. The streets of San Francisco are like big waves where the earth has been raised up. Well, this cataclysmic spiritual event allowed Jesus to overcome the greatest mountain. That was the mountain of death. The mountain of death. This unconquered mountain was now defeated. This unconquered mountain now had the flag of the kingdom of God planted on top. And it was inscribed with some graffiti, I think, which says, The Son of God was here. The Son of God was here. I have conquered death. Now, mathematically speaking, we've actually got a bit of a dilemma. Here is a death that wasn't used, a death that was overcome by the resurrection. You see, to each one of us, it's credited that we shall die. So we all get credited with a death. Jesus was credited with a death, but he didn't use it. The other day I was in town and I got my parking meter money paid and got the little slip. Yeah, you do this in town? Or do you, by faith, pray that the guy doesn't come around? So I had to go to the dentist, so I paid for an hour's worth um, The dentist um, fixed up my tooth and extracted my wallet all at the same time. (laughs) And I came out, and I saw I had 30 minutes left on my ticket. So I gave it to another guy who was rocking up. This is why they're changing the ticket meters, by the way, so you can't do this anymore. So he was really grateful. Then I had to drive downtown, and uh, I had to get a pair of shoes fixed. And I pull up right beside the shoe man. And somebody wanders over to me, taps on my window and says, hey, I got some credit on my ticket. I'm like, wow, I just gave my credit away to another guy further up the road. And this guy sort of looks at me and bows his head and goes, karma, brother, karma. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'll just say thank you, Lord. Leave it at that. But you see, there's this credit floating around. It was a credit of one death. It's like you prepare a meal and you set a table and there's a spare place there and somebody who was going to be there doesn't turn up and you think, wow, this, there's a meal going here. Somebody needs to come and dine at this table with us. We've all been there, haven't we? In exactly the same way, there is a death that is going free. A death that Jesus said, I will give to each one of you who believe. Because this death of mine now goes free, it's not needed by him who is sinless, but it is certainly needed by the one who has sinned. And so we're all invited. We're all invited to this table. We're all invited to eat of this meal, this, this free death that is going because of the grace of God. Does that make sense? The free death that is credited. And that's why we come to this table when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we remember his death. Why? Because we are allowed at that table by faith. We have been credited with a freedom and an opportunity to come and dine at this table, the Lord's table. That's the beauty of Easter Sunday. That's the beauty of the gospel is that for free, we get to take the death of Jesus and we don't have to die our own. So, one resurrection, one changed world, one changed world. And today in 2017, world statisticians I didn't say that right? people who count people say there are more Christians now in the world than every, any given time in history. The good news continues to roll out like the rolling waves of an earthquake, rumbling and changing the landscape, the spiritual landscape of nations have been changed in this last century more than any other century in the world. Places like Asia and China, Central America, Africa, these nations are embraced by the power of this earthquake of the living God. Friends, He has risen. He has risen Indeed. Let's stand for prayer. Father, at your table we are invited. We are invited freely. All that's required is the humility to step up and say, I need someone to take the death. I need someone to take the death that I deserve because of the things that I've done wrong that separate me from the love of God. But now because God's son, Jesus, has left a place at the table for us, Lord, we can come and dine freely with you. We are welcome guests. We're not second-rate citizens. We've been made completely new in the person of Jesus Christ. And so on Resurrection Sunday, we say, Lord, thank you for this tremendous gift. Thank you that we have a place at the table. Thank you by faith we can have confidence that your death credited to us gives us a place to stand, a place to live and a place to have hope and confidence for the future. Lord, you pay the price of our sin. And for this, we are eternally changed and eternally grateful. And so this day, Lord, we we round out this time together by singing one final song as we celebrate your goodness on this amazing day, a day of empty promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you.